High end over end variety. And Amati from his 45. He's got a lane. And he's got speed. Look out. Beep, beep. The Ducks are in the end zone. Touchdown. This is the Duck Pod from the Register Guard Newsroom. Gordon head to head for sure. Mitchell goes in motion. They hand it off. Oregon sports beat writers Ryan Thorburn and Steve Mims. All right, we're back. Another episode of Duck Pod. Ryan Thorburn, Steve Mims. Number 13, Oregon, is on a bye this week. No game for the Ducks until October 5th against number 15, Cal. Oregon obviously coming off a 21-6 road win at Stanford. Exercised some of the demons from the past few years. A really good performance by Justin Herbert. Another Historic performance from the defense as they keep Stanford out of the end zone. That's three straight weeks that they have held an opponent without a touchdown, dating back to the end of the Auburn game. Steve, what are your thoughts on the state of the Ducks right now at three and one, one and zero? Yeah, I think defense, as you mentioned, you know the they gave up the lone scoring drive was the first drive of the game, and you see Stanford go down, and then you think. Um, you know, even when Oregon comes back, that maybe just gets to be a little bit back and forth, and it was just not that way. I mean, Stanford, that first drive, they broke some tackles. Cam Scarlett had a couple nice runs that broke some tackles, and K.J. Costello got downfield a little bit, and then it just kind of stopped. I mean, I don't think Kobe Parkinson, who we've seen these big receivers kill Oregon in the past, and big Stanford receivers, I thought it was interesting. I don't think he had a catch in the game. That was obviously a, a key part to, to what Stanford was going to try to do against Oregon. It just felt like I don't even think they got inside about the 10-yard line. I mean, it just – and maybe some of that Stanford, I guess we knew going in that, you know, this doesn't kind of have the running game that Stanford's had in the past and the line was a little beat up. But even if that was uh, a little bit of a little bit of Stanford, you know, kudos to Oregon for taking advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, Stanford's probably going to struggle just to be a bowl team this year, which is strange to say with a David Shaw team. But at the same time, I think Oregon probably got their best shot. I mean, they were coming off two embarrassing road performances, uh, K.J. Costello you know, was relatively healthy, and Oregon shut down Stanford's offense for the most part. Uh, I was really impressed with Oregon's secondary. You know, for years we've seen their secondary give up jump ball after jump ball to Stanford's big receivers and tight ends, and, and they really took Parkinson out, as you mentioned, and that was really impressive to me because that's the one area where I thought Stanford could still do some damage, and, and they did not. And they had some targets to him in the red zone and, and nothing doing. And then, you know, obviously they don't have a running back anymore like Christian McCaffrey or a healthy Bryce Love, so that helps. But or, or overall, Andy Avalos is, is really getting the job done for Oregon, and they're, you know, leading the Pac-12 in most defensive stats. Yeah, and we've seen some of the depth on the defensive line there. I think Gus Cumberlander, who coming into the season, everybody just kind of thought was kind of a, a backup, you know, and, and an afterthought in what his fifth-year senior, and he's the defensive lineman of the week in the conference we saw Drayton Carlberg had a sack and a big play it's sort of um, you know and I, I think there's a lot of guys that maybe on the edge we don't haven't heard a lot before with with those guys and Bryson and people like that but I think we've seen the depth kind of come through in those spots so far this season and particularly in that Stanford game offensively as expected Jake Hansen did not play Calvin Throckmorton played center Brady Aiello right tackle I thought overall they performed pretty well you know, Justin was sacked four times and, uh, you know, pressured a couple other times. But, you know, he completed close to 80 percent of his passes for, you know, 259 and three touchdowns. So uh, I was struck by how good Justin looked in the pocket when he did have time just 
total command of the passing game, despite not having a lot of uh, their top line receivers. Very impressive. Jacob Breland is making a case for the Mackey Award right now. He's just outstanding five touchdowns already he's really replaced dylan mitchell as the go-to guy although justin is spreading it out a lot more this year than last year very impressive uh still some issues with the run game um the sacks took away a lot of the the yardage there but you know uh, just didn't really get it done cj verdell was the workman with 24 carries but only 82 net yards that's 3.4 per carry but no fumbles uh, and Oregon took care of business on that side of the ball. Yeah, I think we're still kind of seeing what that rotation looks like at running back. Die had one carry, and you kind of felt like coming to that game, all right, well, maybe Die has kind of become the, the go-to guy because Verdell hadn't gotten a whole lot in the previous two. And, um, you know, they may just be kind of still trying to figure out themselves what the rotation looks like. But like you mentioned, we haven't seen kind of the breakaway run. You know, the breakaway runs have been Darren Felix at the end of blowout games. We haven't really seen kind of the running game, you know, kind of kind of slash on first down and kind of put Oregon in some favorable things. They've ended up in a lot of kind of second and third and long type deals because of that. But, you know, I know there was some hand-wringing over the, the offense this week. It felt to me, I mean, it almost felt like after that first quarter, Oregon realized – Stanford's not going to get to 10 or 14 points and they almost were kind of running out the clock for you know the last couple quarters probably figuring look the you know you can go downfield and maybe kind of stretch this thing out a bit but to keep it conservative at that point I think they felt like their defense had it in control enough that as long as they didn't make any mistakes they were going to get out of there with the win. Jalen Red had a really explosive 36 yard touchdown catch for Herbert's first touchdown pass. Uh, Johnny Johnson, it's a trend now. Every game he's showed up and played pretty well. He had th- only three catches, but he took massive hits on all three, held onto the ball. He's having a really nice bounce-back season. And, and Brian Addison is having a nice mini bounce-back after uh, dropping that touchdown against Auburn. He uh, had four receptions for 42 yards, a really big first down where he made a guy miss. So they're finding guys in the receiving game, and then you have Brendan Schooler running around, you know, before the game looking really good. So, you know, is Brendan Schooler going to come back before we see Juwan Johnson at yeah. this point, after, despite breaking his foot? Um, they're going to add pieces. Micah Pittman as well is supposed to practice uh, leading into Cal. So uh, very interesting on offense. Just curious about Juwan Johnson. Is this another grad transfer gone wrong? Yeah, it almost feels like the Scott Pagano, Pagano deal where he came in with all this and then kind of had an early injury and just kind of kept him from getting out there. But I think the takeaway is, you know, everybody asks who's going to replace Dylan Mitchell, and then nobody's replacing Dylan Mitchell. And Oregon's not going to have a guy with 75 catches for 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns this year. But they may end up kind of a little bit more like previous years where we've seen, you know, maybe the leading receiver has 600 yards and there's somebody at 500 and a couple with 400. And like you say, Breland's kind of in that mix too. He's got five touchdowns. You may end up with four or five different guys with you know four or five touchdowns so um you know it feels like that yeah they're they're not finding kind of the guy that they kind of know they can go to like it was with last year with Mitchell but they're kind of making it work in different ways to where they kind of have a few different options out there for each time and and Addison you mentioned I thought he had a couple nice catches early on to kind of get into it and you know I think that's the guy that looks at the body type and the athleticism and thinks man he could maybe become that guy on the outside so maybe as this season goes along Juwan Johnson comes back and and like you say Addison's gets in with what Johnny Johnson's doing and you got a bunch of weapons on the outside that we're not seeing right now. Every week I receive an email from the Ray Guy Award and this week when I it popped in I clicked on it right away because I assumed that Blake Maimon might have a great shot of winning it as the National Punter of the Week. He was the unsung hero in this game. Six punts 
Average 45.7 per with a long of 57. Five inside the 20. And mm-hmm. if I'm not mis- mistaken, two were at like the eight and two others at the 10. I mean, it was just an amazing uh, domination of field position from Blake Maimon. Yeah, it felt like at times that game was just Oregon would get the ball at the 30 and get it to the 38 and then punt, and then Stanford would get it at the 10, and you knew Stanford in Oregon was almost kind of content to do that because they knew Stanford wasn't going to have a way to go 90 yards, and it was sort of, you know, we'll sit here and punt this thing back and forth with, you know, once Oregon got kind of a couple score lead, and Maimon certainly, uh, you know, put Oregon in a position to be able to do that by, like you say, pinning him down there and forcing there was, you know, nothing where the Cardinal was going to get the ball on their side of the field and have a short field all game long. On the flip side, the place-kicking game is still uh, an issue. Uh, Last week, um, Mario had a chance to maybe get Camden Lewis a short attempt against Montana, decided not to do it, Mm -hmm. and now we know why, perhaps. He he did have another chance, and, and Lewis missed another short field goal, and... You know, I my angle from the press box, I didn't realize that it was a, a really bad snap. Yeah, snap was up so inside. Maybe that one's not on Camden Lewis, but you know, those three snapper holder place kicker need to get on the same page. Could be an issue, you know. Uh, maybe not against Cal at home, but you know, you have Washington looming. It's you're going to have some tight games here soon. Yeah, you're yeah, absolutely, and, and I'm with you. That Montana, you know, everybody said, why don't you give him the forty two? possibility that if he misses that 42 yarder all of a sudden that hurts his confidence more and suddenly the crowd's groaning you know and in what otherwise was a really good performance against Montana that you know he may have felt like let's not debut him at 42 you know I mean his first attempt was from 20 and he missed that maybe they figure him we got to kind of get him back out there and a little something more comfortable than a 42 yarder but you're right I mean there's no way Oregon I don't think there's any way that Oregon's going to win the Pac-12 title without having a game where they're going to need a field goal or two and probably one in the fourth quarter. I mean, this isn't one of the old Oregon teams that's going to run through the Pac-12 winning everything by 25, 30 points. They're going to be in some games, like you mentioned, the Husky game, maybe even the Cal game, to where if you, you miss one or two of those, it may be something that instead of looking back and wondering, well, you know, what happens if he misses that in a close game, that may come pretty quick. And like you say, we, the margin of error that Oregon's at right now in the Pac-12 there's just you got to feel like they're going to need a kicker, and that's why I think the departure of Adam Stack's a big deal. Even though Camden beaten him out, and Stack certainly felt that way. I just think any added competition in practice, or just having the option to have a different guy, if Camden does in fact miss a couple more, may come back to haunt Oregon. All right, let's take our first break and then look at what else is going on in the Pac-12. Hi there, it's Les Schwab Tires. You know, we've been helping keep folks safe on the road around here since 1952. That's why you can save up to $152 on a set of four select light truck and SUV tires during our fall tire sale. So swing by or book an appointment at LesSchwab.com. Les Schwab Tires, doing the right thing since 1952. Limited time offer while supplies last. Discount depends on tire size and type. Cannot be combined with other offers. Details at LesSchwab.com. All right, Steve, there's a reason why I don't bet on college football games. <laughs> it was a unpredictable situation in the Pac-12 last week. I mean, I thought Oregon would beat Stanford by double digits, but we're around that situation every day, so you kind of get a good feel for it. I did not think USC's third-string quarterback would light up Utah's defense as USC takes down Utah 30-23. Great win for Clay Helton a horrible loss for Larry Scott. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at the the first team to 2-0 and in the Pac-12 is USC. You know, I mean, they go out and lose to BYU and 
knocks him out of the top 25 and starts the Helton talk again. And then next thing you know, you look up and they've got two wins and it's over Stanford and Utah, you know, two of the more traditionally physical teams Two, you know, Utah, certainly the favorite in one division and Stanford was a preseason ranked team. And so, yeah, you, you can't really figure out, and you know, JT Daniels goes down, they move on to the next guy, next guy goes down, move on. I mean, it just feels like, you know, you've always thought that, you know, boy, the LA area is so ripe with quarterbacks that you should be able to have two or three of them, but it's hard to keep them all. And in fact, Fink was almost going to be in the transfer portal and leave anyway, and they kind of pulled him out of the portal to get in there while Jack Sears is still in the portal. So, um, yeah, kudos to Clay Helton for, you know, just going out there and, and becoming the first to two against two pretty tough teams in the conference. And making that BYU loss look even worse for the Trojans. Washington crushes BYU 45-19 in Provo. I had a feeling after that Cal game, Washington was not done, and they have thrashed Hawaii and BYU. Granted, not great opponents, but they're starting to put it together on offense a little bit, and uh, you know, solid defense and special teams. Looks like the Huskies will have something to say about the North race when when Oregon heads up there in a few weeks. Yeah, although they've got USC this week, so they lose that game at home, and they're you know. Washington, Washington State, and Utah, who you would have listed as kind of with Oregon, the four probably preseason favorites in the conference, are all sitting there at 0-1, and, and Utah and Washington State played here this week, so one of those is going to be at 0-2. If USC knocks off Washington, you could be looking at, you know, if, say Utah and USC win, you could be looking at a Pac-12 North where Oregon comes out of the bye and looks up and sees Washington and Washington State both already with two conference losses, so... Um, yeah, the, the, both those teams have, like I say, played well and, and done some things that really impressed you. But then when you look at the end of the day and they are got no wins in conference play yet and one loss for, for Utah, Washington State, and Washington. And then maybe the craziest Pac-12 after dark game on record. Certainly. And we've had some really bizarre stuff happen uh, since that hashtag was invented. UCLA 67, Washington State 63. Again, I would have bet a lot of money on the Cougars to cover a large point spread in that game. I mean, UCLA looked like they wanted the season to be over. Washington State looked like maybe a front runner in the Pac-12, and then all of a sudden uh, Chip Kelly is almost dancing again. Yeah, those poor Coug fans, once they had finally gotten, didn't have to hear about Cougan it anymore, and then all <laughs> of a sudden it comes out with the ultimate one there. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I'll be honest with you. I, I was in bed by halftime of that one. I was more interested, actually, in the Arizona State-Colorado game on TV at that point because I'd given up on the Washington State one until I woke up and saw it on Sunday. But, um, yeah, I mean, where, where does Chip go from here? I mean, does this kind of become the, the turnaround that he needed for the program, or is it kind of a blip there that Washington State just kind of gave it away? And, and what's it do to the Cougs? Do the Cougs, like I say, now they got to face Utah. Do they go and drop that one if they get to 0-2? What a team that last week I was saying looked like they might be the favorite in the North could be out of the race already. So Washington State's quarterback, Anthony Gordon, 570 yards passing and nine touchdowns, and he goes to the losing locker room. Uh, so uh, there you go. Um, that's what you get when you get Chip Kelly and the Pirate going head-to-head, mm-hmm. some craziness. Um, the other two games, as you mentioned, Colorado won at Arizona State. Big win for Colorado. And Cal, Oregon's next opponent, beat Ole Miss on the road 28-20. Kind of a, a defensive slugfest, as we talked about last week. Big win for Cal. Um, I think, as I mentioned, they're up to number 15 in the poll right now. Can they take care of Arizona State at home to set up really uh, a huge game in the North Division at Autzen Stadium. 
Yeah, and you mentioned it's at home, and it's also that's the Friday night game, I believe. So, you know, there should be some sort of advantage to the home team, you would think. Although, you know, they come back from Ole Miss probably Saturday night and get there, and ASU is going to kind of head down a, d- a day early now, and, and ASU coming off a loss. So, yeah, it would be it would be cool to set that up, you know, for the. You know, Justin Wilcox be coming back here for the second time, and we've seen each year that program's gotten a little bit better and better. And if he comes in here with a top 15 team and Oregon's up there in the top 15, that'd be a pretty fun matchup at Autzen. All right, let's take our last break, and then we'll wrap up the pod. Hi, Ryan Thorburn here, sports reporter at the Register Guard. I've covered a lot of your favorite sports memories in recent years. Marcus Mariota being presented the Heisman Trophy in New York. Oregon blowing defending national champion Florida State off the field in the Rose Bowl. Sabrina Ionescu becoming the face of women's college basketball while helping transform the Ducks from Pac-12 afterthought to national powerhouse. No other media company covers Oregon athletics with the depth and quality found at DuckSports.com. But in order for the Register Guard to continue its rich history of local journalism, we need your support. Please subscribe and support our advertisers to help us chronicle the Ducks and take you behind the scenes to create more memories in the years to come. All right, Steve, it's kind of quiet around here with no football access uh, this week, bye week, as we mentioned. Uh, Mario Cristobal is going to do his weekly press conference on Wednesday instead of Monday. Uh, What are you looking to uh, hear from Mario after this three-in-one start? Yeah, I think think the special teams becomes a question. Again, I think the one thing that kind of sticks out to you is the kicker position, as we talked about, and, and ask him sort of, about kind of the operation that, you know, like you say, we, we haven't seen too many bad snaps out of, you know, Oregon's had kind of a pretty good run of long snappers here. And, and I think him kind of describing kind of what happened there to to mess that one up and just kind of how the the confidence of Camden Lewis is right now. We made a request last week to talk with Camden Lewis and been told it'll probably be not until Pac-12 that he does an interview. So they may be waiting for him to make one before they're going to make him available to the media. So I think that's one, and I think you know people kind of keep questioning about just the running game in particular, just sort of the rotation there and how it seems to kind of switch from game to game. Is that part of what Oregon wants to do is they're trying to figure it out or that kind of change based on the opponents? Yeah, I think after the game, Mario said, you know, obviously you'd like to have balance, but whether you're running it every time, passing it every time, it doesn't matter as long as you win. And, and if you have Justin Herbert, good year to lean on, on the quarterback. So... Um, do you have anything else you're working on this week? Yeah, uh, we've got some baseball that's coming up. Should be up on the website by the time this thing comes out. Talking about Kenyon Yovan, the pitcher who missed all last season with an injury and his road to recovery. And then men's basketball, believe it or not, gets started on Friday. Um, and I'll have a story Friday running for Saturday talking to Dana Altman, kind of going through the roster, a bunch of new guys. Dana hasn't been available to the media since the summer came, and they kind of added a couple more transfers and a couple extra, a couple of five-star five and four-star uh, graduated early and, and enrolled at Oregon. So we'll kind of get a better idea of their roster heading into the first day of camp or of, uh, fall of basketball practice, which is, again, on Friday. Yeah, and I will also be checking in with Oregon women's basketball on Friday, and they are perhaps going to be ranked number one in the country when the preseason AP poll comes out. And I know you're going to the basketball media days in the Bay Area as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously the women will be the number one. I think Oregon's got a chance to be, I think that could be an interesting vote in the media poll. I think Colorado's kind of the team everybody looks like with the most coming back. Oregon maybe the most talent. Uh, Arizona, you know, probably about the best freshman class with kind of the two main guys they got coming in. So 
I think we'll kind of see those three teams split it up, and it, it just feels like anytime it's close that somebody always kind of leans on the coaching and goes with with Dane Altman. So I'm, I'm guessing that Oregon's probably going to be the for the second year in a row the favorite on the men's and women's side, with the men's being a little closer and the women's probably being unanimous. All right, so look for football, basketball, baseball, and more at DuckSports.com, and thanks for listening.